0: Hello and welcome to the EMS Nation podcast. I'm your host, Faison Arshad. I have on the line today, Dr. Chris Fulagar of AMPA, the Air Medical Physicians Association. And today we bring you the last lecture podcast from CC TMC 2016 with Sharon Walsh and Brian Pio. Welcome to the show, Chris. We're going to be chatting about simulation and complex transports today.
1: Well, thank you very much, Afezan. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, It's kind of bittersweet that this is the last one, but there is plenty more to come at CCTMC 2017, which we'll talk about at the at the end here uh, you're in for a treat here with uh, simulation we oftentimes use simulation for the education component but in order to use it to troubleshoot the logistics of your system is something that i think is fairly underutilized and these two folks here have a number of years of experience between them and they're here to share that experience with you today
0: so, Sharon and Brian are both fantastic educators, and they work with Dr. Bill Hinckley at UC Aircare. And they take their quality very seriously. And, you know, degeneration of a patient's clinical status and route or end in the middle of your transport, in the middle of the air, is something that is very real and happens. And they want to make sure that their providers are prepared for any situation.
1: Yeah, Sharon is the clinical program developer, and Brian is the simulation manager. UC Health is a very progressive program, and they do quite a lot in this realm. I'm excited to hear what they have to say.
0: Fantastic. So EMS Nation, enjoy this one, and the last one from the CCTMC Lecture Podcast Series.
2: One of the instrumental people as we developed this simulation scenario. So, the objectives, you all can read the objectives. Um, I don't need to read those to you, so I'm gonna move on. All right, so, a little history about ECMO transports um, at Air Care Mobile Care. Um, this is back in 2011, about 10:15 on July 21st, a phone call comes in, <coughs> comes to the communication center, and it's a person who says, hey, we have a, a Dr. Lewis who wants to transport a patient on ECMO from Jewish hospital to University Hospital. Can we transport a patient on ECMO? Right? right. Oh, and Dr. Gibler, who's one of our ED physicians and president of a hospital at the time, he already called and said he, that we can do it and he will take full responsibility if everything, anything goes wrong. And you all know how that works because they have our back, don't they? Every time. So what everything about it is like no 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 we are not going to do this this is a bad idea we cannot just out of the blue do an ECMO transport but we did do the transport it was a success but some things we found out collaboration with the ECMO team at UCMC is a must okay we are bringing people who do not transport patients on board our ambulances and so they need to understand what happens during the transport environment. All of the crews need to have hands-on education about loading ECMO unit, how to handle the patient. This is something completely new to them. So we started doing some education with our staff um, at Air Care and Mobile Care on ECMO during transport. And we did 14 transports over that the past five years, leading up to last year. But, so we did those things, but.
1: Oh yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and and screaming.
2: Everybody wants to do the transport, but when it's time to do the transport, no one wants to do the transport. Um, So Brian's going to take over for now, um, but what happened was um, we started to see an uptick in ECMO transports. We the hospital decided that they were going to reinstitute their um, heart transplant program, which meant we were going to see even more ECMO transports. So we had to do really something significant. I'll let Brian take over. Great,
3: thank you. So in spring of 2015, the idea started coming together as the newly uh, newly formed simulation center at University Hospital. Of you know, what can we start to do to make these transitions a lot smoother? Um, those of you who have done simulation already, uh, pretty much you get that feeling of, oh, it's for codes, right? Anytime you, you, know, you start doing a simulation or the simulator comes into your area on the floor, people always think the other shoe's gonna drop. But at the place that I'd come from previously, we were using simulation a lot differently, not just for those. So we started bringing together, again, this multidisciplinary group. We wanted to practice like we played. Um, so folks from perfusion, anesthesia, obviously, uh, the simulation center, and then the personnel that we're going to be making the transport. And then, so we, you know, sat down and started talking about how do we make this thing happen? How do we make this as real as possible that folks get the idea? Because as Sharon said before, you had perfusionists and anesthesiologists or critical care fellows, et cetera, in the back of an area in an ambulance that they were not familiar with. And then you also had, uh, you know, Free hospital personnel, nurses and, and critical care medics, et cetera, that were in the back trying to help folks. When, you know, we started finding a lot of things of just obviously the basic communication between who does what, you know, who's in charge of the ECMO machine, who's in charge of drugs if they have to be given. Who's a, you know, So a lot of things that in the past we've just kind of made work, really we needed to address. So again, we wanted to build a device that, so if we're going to put someone on an ECMO, we needed something that could be put on an ECMO machine and then kind of get some readings, et cetera. So, you know, we had that feeling of.
1: Okay, people, listen up. People upstairs handed us this one, and we gotta come through. We gotta find a way to make this fit into the hole for this using nothing but that. Let's get it organized. Okay, okay, let's build a filter. Better get some coffee going, too. Right, so it was kind of here's
0: the machine,
3: make something in simulation that's going to be that's going to work. Um, we wanted it to be as real as possible. We just didn't want to have kind of um, you know much like we do ACLS, we just didn't want to verbalize things. Okay, I give epi every three to five, and then the reality is we give it what about every minute, minute and a half. In reality, right? We didn't want to do that. We wanted folks to actually have the hands on, see what the knobs do on the ECMO machine. Um, the the greatest line in this whole thing was what? Better get a pot of coffee on, right? That's all the all the best ideas come from, you know, good cups of coffee. So we had to, we just didn't want to bombard the learners with all right, here's 20 objectives that we have to accomplish in one scenario. Right? So we wanted to break it up. And so we put it in stages. One was realistically, let's look at the logistics of the simulation. We didn't want to throw a high acuity patient in here to where Folks that weren't familiar with simulation kind of like, oh, I didn't realize that that was just a simulation thing, or I thought that it was this, and it really took away from, no, you know, vitals were vitals. You know, the simulators that we have can actually give you real time vitals and real time, you know, end end title CO2 and things like that. And we just didn't want the cop out to be, oh, I didn't treat them because um, I thought it was a simulator thing, or the most famous one is what? Well, had it been a real patient, I'd have done it completely differently, right? So again, we wanted that. So we looked at the policies. We really just want to look at logistics. How do things flow? So the acuity of the patient was very, very low. There was no dramatic change for this patient, but we looked at the process, the systems process. And then so as we start adding on to this, as we continue to go on, we're going to put in more equipment. You know, the acuity of the patient's going to change. Once we've had a good baseline of people understanding how this thing works, as well as given the opportunities for folks to work together often. Right? So you're bringing The perfusion team and the new people that they're hiring in, you're bringing in anesthesia, the critical care folks, and then our, you know, from air care mobile care standpoint, we wanted to give a good platform for those folks to just practice together. Obviously, the challenges were schedules. We were pulling crews off the road on a regular scheduled, you know, programming time. To come in and again they got dispatched as it was you know you need to respond to now the giveaway was you had to respond to university hospital for an ECRO patient which is we're the receiver not the sender right, but right? The re-
2: and the, the reason for that was we wanted the comm center to work through the process when that call comes in i'm not just sending a squad out to pick up this patient i got to get the squad from a- area a to area b i've got to get the perfusionist in that team from area c to area b and we wanted each group to work through the process with a simulated patient, and then, then you know, solve the issue. So it wasn't going to be a safety issue when it really happened.
3: Okay. So again, the whole thing of you know we have a sim center, but we really wanted to work in the real environment that they would be. Because I would say our sim center is nice, but. And you'll see here we have pictures. It's you know it's a big hall essentially at times, and you don't have the space restrictions that you would in an ICU room or something like that. So, and then as Sharon said, getting the communication center involved. So this is our sim center. Um, it's a collaboration between the United States Air Force, uh, CCAT team, uh, emergency medicine, and the hospital. So it's again there's space on either side and along the way, but. Again, it's nice, but the problem was if I have 30 people in here, you don't really feel the restrictions of 30 people. So, uh, again, we wanted the actual ICU that we had um, that we'd be either transporting the patient out of, say, and, a, and that would look very similar to something that we would pick up from, as well as receiving, bringing that patient into the actual you know uh, rooms that they would be coming into, and looking at all the the logistics that go around that. So these are just some of the pictures of how this would go.
2: So when you're when you will go to build a simulation like this a scenario, what works best is take a transport that you've done. So like I said, we had 14 ECMO transports. I was able to take a patient we had done, I used the labs. I used the whole layout. That's how we built the scenario, wrote it up. We have the same template we use for all of our scenarios so that there's familiarity. should anybody take that over after we're gone. Um, And then we actually, the day that we decided to come together, we actually just stood around a stretcher. We didn't have a simulator in it, nothing like that. We talked through the whole process so we could solve some issues. And there were little tweaks, even just doing that, that we found that we needed to do to make this as real as possible. Um, we did have somebody who built a device so that actually fake blood could flow through the ECMO machine, so people would actually see red stuff going through the tubes, again to make it as realistic as possible, because that was the whole goal, is suspension of delete. Um, so, things we found along the way as we started to do our actual live simulations. We got two new trucks last year. Our auxiliary um, gave us money, thank goodness, and we purchased two new trucks. And one that we purchased only had three seats in the back. What's wrong with just three seats in the back? Only three people can ride in the back. Safety issue. So of course, like it was every time we would do this scenario, that was the truck that we were using. So we said, okay, no more truck twenty-three, and actually more issues had risen with truck twenty-three only having three seats in the back that we're taking out. Pardon my French, the damn captain seat on the side and putting in a bench seat so we can put four people in because you have your critical care paramedic, your critical care nurse, the perfusionist, and probably it's going to be the um, critical care anesthesiologist who needs to ride in the back. Cardiothoracic surgeon, they can write up in the front if they they feel like they need to come to the um, event. Um, So that's the one (sighs) thing we did. Um, We found some issues with lifts on the trucks. How well did the lifts work? The first crew that we did a simulation with, they thought they could just lift the patient without the lift. It's like, no, there is so much stuff on this patient. Safety issue, you will use a lift. Hanging equipment, honest to god, the first time we lowered the structure, we crushed the chest tube container, or chest tube drainage system, of course. So what you'll see a safety checklist that we built, and that's something that people do the walk around the structure to make sure before we lower it, it doesn't get crushed, or nothing gets crushed. How much oxygen will be used by the ECMO machine and ventilator? Do we have enough in the tank? So one day during our simulation. Remember if you were here on the first day and you heard Dr. McDonald talk about how the team ran out of oxygen? So we watched. We stood back and watched. And it's great when you can stand back and watch what happens because you see a different picture than if you're actually in it. The the perfusionist who was going through their scenario, hooked up immediately, the O2 tank, the E-cylinder, to their ECMA machine, and then we just watched to see when would the tank run out of oxygen, because we knew it was going to happen. It took 30 minutes by the time everything was ready to roll out the door, and they came very low. We're like, hey, check the level of oxygen on your tank, and so they were boarding on E. So the one thing that we then drilled into everybody is how to do tank calculations so that you know if I have this much in my tank and I'm flowing at this many liters, how much time do I have left in this e nerve or whatever tank you have. Um, or make your switch. At the, the, that's the last thing you do is to make that switch. So those are things that we um, worked out. And much better to do it on simulation than on a live person. So. The first day we do the simulation, this is not our ambulance, <laughs> honest to God, our team, we call them, they were at our sister hospital that is about normally a 20 minute drive north of us, us. on I-75, a semi has a rollover. And we're like waiting and waiting and waiting and we're waiting and waiting for the team to get down here. And they call and say, you know, the traffic's backed up, we don't know what, you know, it's, just, it's all backed up. And I'm like, they're sandbagging. They don't want to do the simulation. They're making this up. So I got my phone out and I check on WCPO, our local TV station, and sure enough, there's a semi pulled over on the highway. Well, so what they made our team do was we need to figure out an alternate route. So now that's in the back of our team's minds all the time when they have a transport like this. If something goes wrong on the road I'm on, how can I jump off and go somewhere else so I can expedite this transport?
3: It also gave our communication center an opportunity to start doing some logistical changes potentially as well of you know, do I need to call that crew off and is there another crew that has become available that might you know be a quicker transport, et cetera? So kind of those unintentional bases that you get at the back of it was playing out in, in a real-time uh, setting. So all the parties that were included, and all of a sudden then you had the crew, you had the profusionists everyone there going. You know, are, are we going? Are we? You know, are they coming to get us, et cetera? So again, in the realistic world of kind of the hurry up and wait, it gave folks of which, again, insurance said things like oxygen tanks. You know, do, at that point, did the crew, you know, decide? Well, you know, we're not making trans, You know, we're not transferring as much over yet, or you know, when we make all those decisions.
2: So I'm not reading this whole thing to you, but what we did was like I would make notes of issues that I would see during the simulation the lead perfusionist. she would make notes, um, so everybody would make notes and then we were kind of coming together with our notes that we were making of issues that we saw, um, and then from that we made a flow chart. So when that call comes into our communication center, they pull out this chart and now they know what to do as they go through the process, who to contact, who needs to make sure um, of what's doing what, um, so I don't have to go through the whole flow chart, but now we have this flow chart of how to make the process work. After we did this simulation and built this flow chart, uh, we also have OB extenders on our team, so if we have a high-risk OB patient that's coming from another hospital to our hospital, um, we will pick up one of our OB nurses to do the transport. So then I made a flow chart on how that process would go, because again, you have teams out here, going here, picking up somebody that's over there, and how can you best logistically get that worked out? So having a flow chart, so everything happens the same way every time after you've worked through the process with simulation, is the way to do it. Um, we also came up with this cardiac device form because, like I said earlier, the hospital decided they were going to reinstitute their heart transplant program, <clears throat> meaning we're going to get a lot more patients on ECMO, patients on Impella's. Patients on LVADs, patients on balloon pumps. So the one thing, if you're the sending hospital, the last thing you want is somebody making numerous phone calls to you as you're busy with this sick, sick patient that's out of your realm to get information. So what we came up with was this cardiac device form and in the middle you see specific questions for ECMO. In the middle, specific questions for MPELs or LVADs and then on the side, balloon pumps. All we need is for our specs to fax that to the sending hospital. They can complete that form and then they fax it back to us and it gets broadcast out to the perfusionist, the anesthesiologist, the MICU team, and they all have the same bit of information. So now they all know this information with one interaction of phone call, faxing, whatever, instead of numerous phone calls, numerous people making that call to the sending hospital. Um, The other thing that we created was an ECMO guide. So as our teams are heading out to um, pick up a patient on ECMO, these are the things that we want them to be thinking about. So we want them to review this. This is a two-page guide, front and back. We have one for Impella, We have one for LVADs. We have one for balloon pumps. Just so our team can kind of do that quick review of what they need to do before they get there. So you see that, no truck 23. That just was such a bone of contention for me. It's like everywhere. No truck 23. Um, So again, they have that form, and they just pull that up, and they kind of go through it. A good review. The other thing we did was um, at Air Care Mobile Care, our EMT is not just the driver. They are an important part of the team. And so what we did with this was we gave them the title of safety officer during the ECMO transports. And after we created this, this is all the things that they are in charge with taking care of. During the, or leading to the transport, during the transport, and after the transport. The information we got back from the perfusionist and the anesthesiologist and the cardiothoracic surgeon was, you know, that put us at ease. Because you've taken us out of our environment where we're comfortable, and you're making us be, working in an environment that's not familiar to us. And when we have somebody saying, This is gonna happen, this is gonna happen. We'll do timeouts here, we'll do this. It made them feel better knowing somebody else was taking care of that issue for them. So now I'm gonna let Brian talk about Ebola.
3: Or the latest infectious disease that comes down the line, right? So pick one, there's probably gonna be many. Um, So again, with the success that we had with kind of the ECMO transport, we also then started identifying some other areas where uh, air care, mobile care comes into a huge play, not only just within our hospital system, but within our region and in our state. Um, you know, obviously, we sit kind of at a, uh, you know, at a pivotal point between Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio, so our reach is a little more than just, say, Ohio. So, within Ohio, though, and within the area, we have an agreement that states that our, um, our ambulances will go either, A, pick up the patient from a hospital, to take them to Cleveland, or we will go to a home to pick up someone that's on Ebola watch who happens to be sick and needs to be transported in 911.
2: Yeah, 911 will not transport these patients. We are tasked with transporting these patients. And the reason he said Cleveland is in Ohio, Cleveland is the receiving hospital for Ebola patients at this point in time. So the state of Ohio came up with a big plan on how Ebola patients would be managed within the state of Ohio.
3: So again, we wanted to put policies and procedures to task. So everything looks good on paper, but then all of a sudden you go through your SOP and say, okay, let's try this. And you get a real sense of how long it takes to prepare the back of the ambulance. You know, this, I don't know if any of you have seen the, the TV show Dexter, right? This is what it reminds me of. There's just plastic everywhere. I'm expecting, you know, blood to be splattered or type of thing. But, you know, again, we had folks that, we looked at how long did it take? You know, Did we, were we doing it correctly? <coughs> Taking, making sure there were no gaps, and then we had folks, and um, Brian and Mark were the two that volunteered to be Voluntil. the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who were the ones that were in the back that were making the transport. So again, we utilized our sister's uh, hospital up north to bring an Ebola patient down to the main hospital.
0: Simulated it, simulated,
3: So again, we put them, you know, the receiving hospital, we got up there, went through the whole checklist of how to get suited up, how to make sure that both were safe, and then how easy or difficult was it to treat this patient from point A to point B in the suits. Um, one of the things that we found out, Mark, the minute Mark sat down in the back of the ambulance, you know, it's, you're the state you know, Puff Marshmallow man, he sat down and what happened, Mark? Blew out
0: the butt of that suit. The butt <laughs> of the suit blew out
3: right so obviously had it been a really bullet patient you know we would have called TV time out and we would have made a transfer but again of looking at the logistics of the suits and kind of the how do you operate in those things
2: so the suits have been changed they're now plastic as opposed to paper um, so that people won't do that okay.
3: the other kind of bonus that we looked at that was how well did our crews clean up after the fact okay and so what they didn't know at the time was our boss put kind of the A little secret hidden ink on there to find out. You know, all right, we asked the crew, clean up your mess. And so what happened was at the very end, how well do you think they did? Not to put them on the spot, but they did extremely well. But they got all the spots. So we're extremely pleased that you know that they, as the crew, took this simulation seriously enough to act like as if it were a real patient to do the due diligence of truthfully cleaning up the back of the ambulance and making sure that we are following that policy and procedure. As well as possible, that you know, the reason that we created it was to make sure that people were safe and that, that we were doing the right things at the right times. You know, even with the cleanup. So we were finding that using the simulation, again, they weren't. These were not the typical high acuity patients that you know we're thinking of. You know, it's the heart patient. and We're going through mega codes and we're going through a bunch of drips and things like that. There are certainly places that we are doing that, at. but when we were looking at these larger transports we are looking at more of that logistical issue of, are we doing it right now? Because again, now adding the acuity is only going to muddle things up. If we're not doing the baselines correctly, how are we expected to provide the best possible care for our patients? So again, that's where we were putting simulation into use. As we continue on, as we move on, obviously the acuity of that patient's going to move up, the different types of equipment is going to be added on to the thing because again, that are going to be the multiple distractions. We're looking at, uh, we always look at things like teamwork communication, CRM. You know, we want to make sure that those are principles that all the crews adhere to, not just because it's well, it's a simulation and we'll just kind of cheat on this one and you know. But when the real patient comes, you know, again. We want folks to be proficient at these things. You know? And again, if we don't see, it's you know, kind of the, how can you expect someone to be proficient at something if they don't get the opportunity to do it or do it often? So there's where we're finding a lot with our simulation program of putting these types of patients into the critical care setting, not necessarily from an acuity standpoint, but just also just at that very basic from that logistical standpoint of, do our policies and procedures match our actual care of our patients? So, We'd be happy to, unless Sharon has anything else to yeah, add, we'd be happy to answer any questions or. Yeah, so
2: actually, let me, I do. So, the one benefit of our simulations is that teams that didn't even get to simulate, they've heard the discussion so much that they feel like they've attended the simulation. And, of course, we get a call back in like November. We need you to come and pick up a patient in Good, good Sam in Dayton, so that's an hour and a half away. The team that goes up has not simulated this yet. But they go up. Now, the cardiothoracic surgeon is not a fan of simulation. He thinks it's a waste of time, it's not the way to train, blah, blah, blah. Well, this team goes up there and they pick up the patients, and everything is extremely smooth, the whole transport. And he's now a fan of simulation. However, this team never simulated. And if anybody in this room tells him that, I'll kill you. <laughs> um, the other thing, too, that happened is simple things like um, our team wanted to take the sending hospital's IV pumps because they didn't want to take the patient off the IV pumps. Because what happens when you switch pumps? Their pressures fall, bad things happen. So what we do now is our team will call to the hospital that's sending and say, have pharmacy make me up fresh strips of everything that you've got hanging on the patient right now. And then what happens is the medic goes to the corner of the room where all the drips are laying. They plumb all their lines. They program their pump, pumps. They build the manifold. The drips start running, so everything's mixing. And then they walk over, and it's just switch, switch. Everything's going smoothless tran- or smooth transfer. Everything works great. Um, so those are some of the things that that benefits the simulation.
1: All right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. We've been really excited to present these talks to you from the Critical Care Transport Medicine Conference 2016. And if that has whet your appetite for more, I encourage you to join us in person at the CCTMC Conference 2017, which will be April 10th through the 12th at the Wyndham San Antonio Riverwalk Hotel. And for those who have not been to San Antonio, it's a great city. We have a great conference with a wonderful lineup of people. And we hope to be able to talk to you and to meet you and to be able to share ideas. So uh, hope to see you next year in San Antonio, April 10th through 12th, 2017. And you can uh, go on AMPA.org. That's A-M-P-A.org for more information as uh, we get the rollout of this program in progress
0: thank you so much chris and ems nation we want to remind you that after watching this lecture podcast your job does not end our lecturers and conference speakers and educators would love to engage with you and really dig into these complex transport questions and optimize the critical care transport of our patients all across the country so please find us on twitter at Ampadox, A-M-P-A-Docs, D-O-C-S, as well as E-M-S underscore Nation, and tweet a question to the author of the lecture podcast and tag us as Ampadox and at E-M-S underscore Nation. We would love to continue the conversation so we can optimize our patient outcomes. This is Faison Arshad and Chris Fulligar wishing everyone a safe tour.